Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. It's so good to be back. I know that you missed me because I missed you. I took last week off. Uh, Joe and I went down to Southern California to be with her mother on her 95th birthday. What a wonderful celebration it was. But we sure did miss you, and I've seen a few um, things on Facebook, people saying, what happened to you? Where are you? Um, we were gone for that week, and I so apologize, but it was a week that was well needed and, and uh, really enjoyed to be with my mother-in-law and the rest of Joe's family. It was a wonderful time. But we're back, and it is so good to be back. Today we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a very unique uh, scripture. Chapter 5, you know, it, it's interesting if you really study the Apostle Paul, he is so gracious and so godly, and he is um, really challenging the church in Corinth um, to live like him, to live for Christ, truly. And yet this is the same church that's that's making accusations against him, um, that are turning away from the things that he has taught them, and yet he so lovingly uh, brings them back into correction, into that straight connection that we have with Jesus Christ in our lives, or that we should have. So let's look at this today, thinking of ourselves. Uh, this is one place where we can really think of ourselves in an appropriate manner. Am I really living like a Christian? Or am I just playing the game? Do I just come in on the first Sunday of the month and take communion because it's what we do? I want to be right with God, and I want to be go to heaven when I die. But the rest of my life, just leave me alone and let me live it the way I want. Hmm. I think there's a lot of us out there like that. This chapter is convicting. It has convicted me and forced me to really look at myself. God bless you. I hope you enjoy the message. And come out and see us here in Tuolumne as soon as you can. The message gets started in here in just a minute. God bless. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's really a very interesting chapter. I had to read it several times. I mean, really read it. Um, Paul is so interesting. To know who he's talking to. He's talking to us as a church, but... In his position, if you, if you can get into his life, he was having some real problems with this Corinthian church. There were people that had infiltrated the church that were wanting to boot him out as the apostle, saying that what he says is not true and different things were going on in the church. And, and he's so gracious. Because we, we know in 1 Corinthians, the whole, the whole chapter, he was like hammering on specific problems, things, boom, boom, just things that were going on, and he was trying to correct them. Now, in 2 Corinthians, he's loving them. And to, to listen to what he's saying with love, the intent of love in his heart, it really has affected me. Am I really living the way I'm supposed to be living? Is this a game that we play? We come to church and we enjoy, we have such a great group. You're all my best friend, every one of you. This is awesome. This is like heaven. 
like I think it will be. You know, we're together and we're worshiping in unison. And, but am I really living when I walk out of these doors? Am I really living what I'm supposed to be living? Am I really saying what I should be saying? All this isn't even in my notes. It's all for free. I, I just, it's, it's really affected me. Reading this got me to looking internally. I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at me and I want you to look at you. And question yourself. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Is it just a country club? We're going to have Mexican food on the 19th. And Dave's going to be making tacos. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. You know? Wow. On Father's Day. Or is that Father's Day? Yeah, that's Father's Day. Yeah. Wow. What, what a place. Amen. So why does Paul endure so much suffering for his preaching about Christ? So then I ask, why would anyone? Because he's a true believer. In chapter 5, he continues his discussion on eternity, comparing our earthly bodies to be like living in a tent. A temporary place. Paul would rather look at living his, in his internal home, eternal home, with God, in which God has prepared for all those who have their trust in Christ, free from the groaning and the burden that affects every one of us here on earth. With that to look forward to, we all should preach with courage and conviction knowing that we are new creations in Christ. No matter what we face, we have a permanent dwelling place made by God for each one of us. This reality has a very way of changing our circumstances, our circumstances from unbearable to bearable. And this is exactly what Paul was trying to say. It doesn't matter what we're going through. Now, don't think that pastor says he doesn't care what I'm going through. Yes, I do care. We all go through difficulties and, and life is tough. And yes, I care. Yes, I care that you just had a fight with your wife last night and it was brutal and you both cried and now you're upset and she's not here. And yeah, I care. But if we have this conviction down, it becomes bearable. Because we know that this is just temporary. This is what we stand on as Christians. But again, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4.18. That happens to be the last verse of chapter 4. He says, while we do not look at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen are not seen. I'm sorry are eternal. So there it is. The things that we see are temporary. Yes, you got cancer. I'm sorry. It's temporary. It's temporary, buddy, sister. It's temporary. And God can heal us, but I'm not God. I can't make I can't figure out why he may heal one and not another, but we're all saved. We're all the righteousness of God. And we have to believe that was the last verse in chapter 14. 
And the translators did it again in this living word of God. They choose to broke it, break the chapter right in the middle of the Apostle Paul's thought. And I'm just going to ignore it and we'll just read it and go on with it. So let's continue on with that thought. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. We having a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with the habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Let me explain verse 3. Having accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what he's saying. Because people will read and go, I don't know what he's talking about. Clothed, naked, clothed. Having accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will not be found naked. You will have your eternal body. Do you think the Apostle Paul was talking about your earthly home as your house? A lot of you get some great houses, but he's not, that's not what he's talking about. Of course not. This tent describes our body. And notice that he uses a term that is temporary. A tent is not a permanent structure. In Hebrew, the word tent is actually tabernacle. We've all heard of that. According to the Hebrew Bible, tabernacle, meshken, meaning a temporary residence or a dwelling place. Do you realize that there are a lot of people in this world who are not earnestly desiring heaven? It's a reality that's kind of shocking when you think about it. There are a lot of people that aren't, they love their life. Is it because they're so comfortable here on earth? Well, maybe. For some, being comfortable can be a distraction from the reality that we need a savior. Some may say, save me from what? I hear it all the time. Save me from what? I'm living a good life, a moral life, an honest life. I love my family. I take care of my kids. I love my wife. And you're saying I'm a sinner? They take offense. They say I love the way I'm living. I love my life. They simply do not understand. The Bible says they're blinded. A veil is over their eyes. And we've seen that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Why is it we all can't just see Jesus for who he is? I wish we could. Man, just open your eyes, man. See Jesus for who he is. Why can't we all? Well, we're all supposed to be proclaiming that. It's almost like foolishness that people would deny Christ if they just knew what he has done for the world. And I hear that from a lot of people that say, yeah, you Christians say the world. Jesus died for the whole world that will be saved. How's that working for you? Well, it's important for you to know you have to explain John 3, 16, because there's this statement that Jesus made to Nicodemus. He said that whosoever believes... See, there's a requirement there. Yeah, he died for the world that each and every person in the world could accept him and believe. But who don't? Won't make it. Whosoever believes shall be saved. Knowing something and believing something are two totally different things. Another thing Paul was dealing with in this Corinth 
in Corinth was the Greek philosophers. Though they thought that a bodiless spirit was the highest level of existence. They thought the body as a prison for the soul and saw no advantage to being resurrected to another body. So no, they weren't going to accept Christ. The highest existence we could have is our soul being freed of this of this body, and that's not how it works at all. Verse 4 says, For we are in this tent, for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That mortality will will receive it because we know that that's what we have in eternity. Verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you, and that's your guarantee. He's in you. Maybe you need to start talking to him a little more. Because he's in you. Recognize the Holy Spirit is in you and part of you. He says, verse 6, So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. While we're at home in the body, the word used here in the Greek was endomintus, entomontius, which means literally to be among one's own people, to be at home, to be present at any place. It's equivalent to saying, while we dwell in the body. God is present with mankind because he sustains us by his power. He dwells in us because in him we live and move and have our being. He is present with his faithful ones and greater energy of his spirit. He lives in us and dwells in our midst and within us. But in the meantime, he is absent from us. Well, how can you say that, Pastor? Well, have you talked to him face to face? I have the living spirit of God in me, but I haven't talked to him face to face. I haven't been in his personal preference, presence. Verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. That's one you could easily memorize. How many of you have that memorized? We walk by faith, not by sight. Here, the word walk means our conduct or our behavior. We do after putting on our behavior, after we put on our faith in Jesus. In the Christian life, we cannot see the promises of Christ with our naked eyes. To view them, we need to have faith and it will help us to walk with God in our eternity. Would you give me some water, please? I should have done that before service. Thank you. I encourage everyone to make a faith-filled declaration about yourself every day. A faith-filled declaration about yourself. Make it about your life, your future, standing on the promises you find in God's word, considering concerning such declarations. By his stripes, I'm already healed. Claim it. Decree it. Talk about it. Say it over your life. 
Find the promises in the living word of God and speak them. It will feel weird at first, but keep doing it. You will get used to it, I promise. If you do this regularly, a few times a week, a few times every day, maybe a few times every hour, I promise you, you will begin to see changes over your situation, your addictions, and over your emotions. It will change everything. If we would just see the promises and begin to declare them in our body. I'm glad Joe went home because I can talk about her now. Although she knows I'll talk about her even when she's here. But everybody knows she struggles with anxiety and depression. It, it's obvious and she's been open with it and we've prayed over it. And I keep saying, honey, you have to decree it. You have to declare it every day. Even on the days that you don't, you feel the heaviness of this anxiety. You feel the heaviness of this depression. You don't just accept it. You speak it. You say, God has healed me of this and I'm going to have a beautiful day. And decree it and claim it. Speak it over yourself and then go on and in your depression and anger, anxiety. Because it's still there. But you learn how if you keep continually do this over and over again, eventually, eventually things will change. And you'll realize someday you'll say, I don't even feel that way anymore. Because I've spoke life into the situation. I'm not going to just let that dictate how this day is going to go. I'm going to speak life into it. I'm going to speak healing over my life. We speak things, those things that are not as though they were. That's what the Bible teaches us and tells us to be able to declare these things over our life. He said in verse eight says, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Yes, amen. amen. I'm confident in that. When I am absent in his body, <clears throat> I'm dead and gone. I will be present with my God. Verse nine, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Do I really need to explain that to you? I think I do. I'm going to give you George's expository no-degree version. I call it the GED, G-E-N-D-B. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then live like it. That's all it is. If you are confident in what you believe, then live like it. Allow it to show in your body. Allow it to show that it's just who you are. I said this to a young man, and I'll say it to you guys today. I do not want to go to hell with a communion cup in my hand. Well, pastor, how could you say that? Oh, trust me. There are a lot of Christians sitting throughout America with a communion cup in their hand today are not really saved they're playing the game they're going through the motions they're doing it we we do this every month i show up at first sunday every month so i can take communion make sure i'm right with god but are you right with god have you truly confessed your sins have you truly accepted him as your lord and savior are you living right does it show if you're confident in what you believe then why aren't you living like it well pastor you got all that out of verse eight yeah i did Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he or she has done, whether good or bad. 
And this is one of those scriptures you, uh, you know, you go, Pastor, can we kind of get out of the expository type preaching so we can skip ones like this? I'm sorry, it's there. We are all going to sit in a judgment seat before Christ. Oh, understand, this has nothing to do with salvation. You're saved. You're in heaven. You're going to be celebrating that fact. You made it. You're there. And this was the motivation that Paul had to please God. The knowledge that he would someday be judged by Christ for the works in his life. If that doesn't concern you, then you may not be saved. It should concern you. God's going to look at my life and make a judgment call over the things good I've done, over the things bad I've done. It's going to be kind of like running in the Olympics. There's three guys on the podium. You got your gold, your silver, and what's the other one? Bronze. Oh, the silver and bronze, they're losers. But they still got silver and bronze, you know. Maybe they didn't succeed, they didn't work, and that's going to be how it is. It's not going to be, there's not going to be no condemnation. It's going to say, it's going to be like you could have ran harder. You could have tried more. You could have reached others. You could have made a difference in other people's lives rather than being so concerned about your own. And if we live this way and if we have that knowledge, it's going to cause me to change the way I think and the way I act. It's certainly going to change the things I have to say. Because sometimes I say things that are completely inappropriate. You know, we're going to have to give account for every word. Hmm. I got some words that I need to get on my knees and say, Father, forgive me. Let's start new today. Let's start again. I want to live under this kind of motivation. Paul insists that all believers in Jesus will be appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ when he returns to earth. Paul is clear in his letters that this judgment seat is not about salvation. We're, if we're at the judgment seat, we're saved. The judgment seat of Christ is something exclusively for you and me as believers. It is our evaluation. I asked the elders here a while back for an evaluation. They looked at me like, what? It's important. It's important that you evaluate your employees at work, your students in college. It's important that we're evaluated how we're doing. What do I need to improve in? What do we need to do to improve the church, the body of Christ, our ministry? We're going to be evaluated. Evaluation for our works here on earth. This refers to an assessment of what each saved, heaven-bound Christian has done in the body since coming to faith in Christ. How has he or she lived in Christ? How have you lived in Christ? Whether you have done for the good or for the evil, Paul wrote in Romans 14, 12, I don't think I put this one on the screen. He says, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's a reality that we should be thinking about. Is what I'm doing appropriate to, to, to my confession to Jesus Christ? If I would ask myself that before I flip on Netflix, I'll be more concerned about what I'm actually watching. You know, it, it makes a difference. It should show in my life. Knowing, therefore, verse 11, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God. 
And I also trust are well known in your consciousness. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. That concerns me and it should concern you. If I have loved ones, if I have friends, if I have neighbors that I know are not serving Christ, have no recollection, I need to talk to them. It's because of the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Simply because we know who we are. And you know your thoughts. I don't have to tell you what's right or wrong. You know. We each one know ourselves and know what we're thinking. We know whether this is just a game. This may be just way too convicting and maybe you won't be back next week. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching the word of God. And it is convicting. It's been convicting for me. Verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have the answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Well, we need to talk about that. I do not have to commend myself to you. You know me. You know who I am. I don't have to bring my letter or resume in every Sunday to make sure you approve that I'm able to preach. I don't have to commend myself to you, but you have the opportunity to boast about your church. You have the opportunity to tell your neighbors of what you're learning here. And yeah, you can say, you know, last week he was really convicting me. He kind of kind of made me a little uncomfortable. Good. Tell them that. That you go to a church that, that really does sometimes make you feel a little uncomfortable about how you're living our life. How the, the thoughts that you're thinking, the things that you're doing, the things that you're watching. It's not, not my job to commend myself. I don't have to try to convince you how hard I work to put a sermon together. But you, you can boast to your people about your church. You can learn to discern who boasts about the size of their church and the appearance of the newest young pastor. You can make discernments on that when people come to you and start boasting about what they're doing. It's never about us. It's always about the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are a sound mind, it is for you. Oh, that's interesting. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. That's really interesting. If one died for all, if Christ died for us, then I need to die for him of my old sinful behavior, the things that I'm thinking, the things that I'm doing. And you know, it's, it's a process. My thoughts have cleaned up tremendously compared to what they were just 10 years ago. And I praise God for that, but I'm still working on it. It's still a process. We have to begin to start somewhere and begin to work on the things that we believe. How do I really appear? I took this very same thing and explains it a little clearer. 2 Corinthians 5 through 13 out of the New Century Version. He says, if we are out of our minds, it's for God. If we have our right minds, it is for you. You realize how many people think you're out of your mind when you start witnessing to them? 
You're out of your mind. It's for God. Yeah, this may sound crazy to you now, brother or sister, but wait until the day of trials come for you and your house. I believe you'll be calling me. I remember when I turned away and when I, you asked if you could pray, and I said, nah, I got nothing to pray about. Believe me, when trouble comes, they'll be coming and asking you to pray. It says, verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we know that one died for all, so we all have died. We've died to self. We've died to the things that we this, this body craves and, and desires. Verse 15, Christ died so all that those who live would not continue to live for themselves. He died for them and was raised from the dead so that they could live for him. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what we're doing here. It's not for myself. It's not to be entertained. I'm not trying to entertain you. In fact, you're all being really quiet. Maybe I'm really convicting you, and maybe so, that's good. Because you'll go back and you'll read it and say, does it really say that? Verse 15, in the New King James Version, it said, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves, should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Okay, understanding this is interesting. Everyone that everyone can be forgiven of their sin and transformed through faith has changed how Paul regards every person on earth. It changed how he looks at everything. He said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, well, Christ is not in the flesh anymore. He's in heaven, in his spiritual body, in his eternal body. We know now from what we have within us, his primary concern is whether another person is in Christ or are they still in their sin. It should be a concern for each one of us. And they are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus or not, are they? As shown in the following verses is about Paul's deeming people good or bad on account of their faith. Rather, it reflects his deep desire to see people saved through faith, faith and observing a real change in them. Is to see a real he's, he's looking at the church going, you guys haven't changed a bit. And he's saying it in such a classic way that he's saying, look into yourself. Are you acting more like Christ or not? Or, or what is it you guys are doing? Verse 17 says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Man, you should have that one memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Tyler, are you in Christ? You are a new creature. You are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Now understand, it's a process. You're not just going to go be Mr. Holy and stand up and start preaching in the church. I hope you do, but you know what? You're not. 
It's a process. It's a process that we all go through. We're changing and becoming more like him. And the more you realize that I need to be like him, it starts changing the way you think and the things that you choose to do or you not choose to do. He said in verse 18, he said, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's done for you. You are in him. You are a new creation. And now because how we're living, we're beginning to change from the inside out. The things that the old man used to do begin to not feel right anymore. They just don't taste right in your mouth. They're just not right. And God is changing you from within with the help of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not in putting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's what we do. We implore people, please, be reconciled to God. When, when Jim and I go into the jail, this is exactly the conversations that I'm having with them. I implore you. Yeah, I know you said you accepted Jesus back when you, you know, back when you were in prison and you got baptized in prison. Yeah, that's good. That's fine. But I implore you, you to make a change. To start living what you say you believe. Verse 20 says, now that we are all ambassadors, I already read that. Okay, verse 21. For he made him, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Then I want to read you one verse out of chapter 6. He goes on, the thought hasn't changed, they did it again. I'm not going to let it bug me. It says, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, 1 and 2 says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not accept it in vain. Allow it to be real in your life. He says, In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day of salvation. So what I implore you is that you've heard this message and maybe you've wiggled a little bit and gone, oh man, you know, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Good, because we're supposed to live a life that represents Christ. And we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But try living it every day. Try to green positive things over your life as you go throughout the day. Start speaking. It might be God. You can check it. You never know. Might be saying, hey, respond. Respond to this message I've been hearing. It's really important that we do know what it is we're actually doing here. I would like uh, some communion ushers to come.
we're going to receive communion. Tony, would you help us in this? Uh, Jim, would you help us? Dave, would you help us with communion? And I need one more. Um, all right, Bob, would you come on in, guys? Come on up. Come stand here and face these good people. But I'm leaving the recording running because for those who are listening to the podcast, I would like you to respond to this message with us. To go get a little, little cup of grape juice or a little cup of orange juice, uh, a little cup of water, I don't care what it is. It's all a, a representation of the blood of Christ. Get a little cracker and hold that little cracker in your hand. And we're going to take communion together. Because it's important that we respond. We respond to this message. Well, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I think I know what it is to be a Christian. Do you? Are you living a life that shows it? Some of you are. I know you well. And yes. But it's another time that we should have conviction in our lives that says, you know what, I can do this better. I can do this better. I think we're going to have to have communion uh, usher training here soon. Yeah, because uh, this, this is really a pretty big mess, but it's all right. It's all right. It gets done. No judgment or anything. Yeah, no judgment. Just to listen to you really feel. I get that one out. <laughs> make is everybody sure everybody good? Everybody, everybody have something? Right. Okay. Okay. We're good. Yeah. Don't, don't forget to serve yourself. Yeah, I put one over for me. Okay. Did you get a cracker? Dave, he needs a cracker. He's chasing him down. Nobody said it's going to be easy. Man, I'm I'm so glad that the people in the podcast can't see this happening. You may go back to your seats. That was really a holy moment. And I'm going to bring us all back because. Oh, it's fun to have fun in church. There's nothing more precious than this. This little piece of bread represents his body that was beaten and bruised. And we begin to think about what he paid for you, for me. They, blood, they put a bloody, that crown of thorns on his head. And you know how a head wound, it was just completely covered in blood flowing over his face. 
and that wasn't enough, then they nailed him to a cross. Our God. It had to happen for you and for me. And we need to have that in our lives. We need to know and know what we're doing here as Christians. We need to know that we got to be growing in our faith. Father, we hold this little piece of bread up and we, we declare it that it is the body of Christ and we are taking it, remembering what you have done for us. Take and eat and remember. This little, little bit of juice, whatever you guys have at home, it doesn't matter. It represents the blood of Christ. His blood was shed. And we as Christians say the blood is the cleansing blood. It's what cleans us. It's what washes away our sin. People who have a veil over their eyes, they, they have a hard time understanding that. But his blood has washed us. And Father, as we partake in communion together, I pray that you wash us again. Wash me again, Father. Wash me clean. Wash everything out of me that I've allowed in my life that I know that I shouldn't have been watching what I was watching or doing what I was doing. Father, cleanse me again. Cleanse me again. Cleanse my thoughts. Help me to be a better witness to the world outside of this church. Father, we believe. We ask you to wash us again in the name of Jesus as we take and drink. Amen. Thank you, church. Tony, would you come back and give us something to, to go home with?